I'm going to invite you to take your seats. Good morning. It is so good to see you today. I'm excited to welcome you to Impact City. We're glad you made time to worship with us today. We're excited to kick off a new series um, on this fifth day of February um, as we dive into what God has for us. And the name of this series is Love Handles. Love Handles. Getting a grip on our relationships and just talking about love in various forms. So I'm excited that you made time to be here with us today, and we're going to be very intentional with our time. Um, Our series, Love Handles, and I'm excited for today's message um, that is titled... It is what is love. You got to come back next week for Baby Don't Hurt Me, okay? What is love? Can I start by sharing this? That God can put it back together. That God can put it back together. Maybe it's a strained relationship between you and a child, or between you and a sibling, between you and your husband or your wife. Can I tell you that God can put it back together? Whatever it is for you, that God knows no limitations, and that he knows no barriers, that he can put it back together. Your home, your family, you can't, but he can. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what it has been like. God can put it back together. God is in the restoration business. So what I want to dive into today, with God's help, is what real love is. What is love and the definition of it. And when we look at it through society's lens, it can easily taint us and it can easily distract us from what real love is. But for us to truly understand and to know what love is, we have to look at the scriptures. The Bible defines real love without conditions. So I want to tell you that real love is unconditional. And the truth of the matter is that God calls us to love everyone. Everybody. God wants us to love our enemies. And I know you're looking at me saying... Sometimes it's hard to love the people in my life. Sometimes it's hard to live, to love the people that you live with. And and you're telling me, preacher, that you want me to love everyone, including my enemies? I'm struggling with the three that I have, you may be saying. Yes, that's what God calls us to do. That's what God calls us to do. So stay with me for just the next little while because there's one particular chapter that I want to highlight today from the New Testament that we know as as the love chapter. You hear it at weddings all the time, and it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It starts with saying, 
love is patient. Does that look like your life right now? Love is patient. Really? Are we allowing God to work that out? Patience in our lives. And it says love is kind. Love is kind with our kids, even when they're acting crazy. With the people that don't always treat us the best, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dis honor others. When we look at what dishonoring is, it it means to remove the value from someone. And we are called to value everyone. Amen. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps no record of wrongs. I'm not keeping count of what my spouse did. I'm not keeping count and trying to even the score. No, love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. It always protects. You may be doing me wrong right now, but love, real love, protects you cares for you, trusts, I'm hoping and I'm persevering, I'm going to stick with this because love is so much more than an emotion. Love never fails. Love never fails. And this is not great poetry. This is God's word. And the Bible tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, after all that is said, It says, let love be your greatest aim. If you're going to go for anything in this life, if you're going to do anything in this life, let love be your greatest aim. And I know we're not there yet. And I'm here to tell you that the one speaking to you today is not there yet. But that little by little, more and more each day, that we would become more like Jesus. And that we would become less carnal. That we would be more like Jesus. He said, by this they will know that you are my disciples. That you love one another. That you love one another. That I wouldn't be as critical, but that I would let love fill the gap. That I wouldn't be critical like the rest of the world. That I would make my decision. That you would make your decision. And that we would say, no, I'm going to love. I'm not going to be mean. I'm not going to be ugly. Even though sometimes we're very tempted to. I'm not going to honk at everyone on Andrew's Highway because they won't get out of my way. Come on, somebody. And I know we're not there yet. But that each of us would make love our greatest aim. And the church said, Amen. (laughs) This is extremely important, not just to the pastor of this church. This is extremely important to God. He is our leader. And we follow Him. And this is important to Him because if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, we need to follow how Jesus lived His life. He loved everyone. He loved everyone. He was not turned off by their wrong, 
He loved everyone. It's not something that, that we can just say. And we don't have the luxury of saying, well, that's just not who I am. I'm not a loving person. No, we don't have that luxury because God is the one that calls us to love. He himself told us. Matthew chapter 5 says this. This is how important it is to God. Watch this. He says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, if you're coming to church, and, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. He says, first go and be reconciled to them. Make things right. And then it says, then come and offer your gift. Jesus is stressing and emphasizing the importance. It's that important to him that we would make love our greatest aim. 1 John chapter 2 says this, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Who hates a brother or sister, that, that goes for everybody. That, that's the opposing political parties. That's the opposing views. Because this is what the Bible says, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And I want to live in the light. And I want you to live in the light. And watch what it says. And there is nothing in them. When we love everyone, when we love our brother and sister, we live in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. That's good right there. That when we embrace this truth, that when we take it to heart and we let it just marinate in our lives, that the net result of this is not that everyone around us is happy. No, that it is that we get to live a life without, make, without having anything that makes us stumble. There's nothing that gets us worked up. There's nothing that gets us upset. There's nothing that gets us frustrated. No, because we're not looking at it through a negative light. We're looking at it through God's eyes, and we're loving everyone. Amen. The stuff that used to rock your world doesn't rock your world anymore. There's nothing in them that can make them stumble. And that's my hope for you today, that, that we would live this life. Imagine if we embrace this truth that is God's word, and, and we just grabbed a hold of it and lived by it, and that we would just go living our life from here on out, and that, that we can know that today's the, the first day of the rest of our lives, and that we could say, you know what, there's nothing that can make me stumble, because I'm going to do what Jesus called me to do. I'm going to love everyone. I'm going to love everyone. Jesus was once asked by a religious person, by what the Bible calls an expert of the law. And we got a lot of religious people. He says, one of them, Matthew 22 and 35, one of them, an expert in the law. And can I just stop and say, there are so many people that we see around us that we can witness to that, that they can say something, but there's so much hate behind it. God help us. That, that there's so much People, there's so many people that can express their point of view and their perspective, and they, they, will, they will completely abolish everybody that does not see the way they see it. But can I say it's the Holy Spirit that convicts? It's the Holy Spirit that, that convicts. It is not my job, it is not your job to make 
somebody else see things the way you and I see them. Let's let God do the work. What good comes from me bad-mouthing somebody else? What good comes from me bad-mouthing somebody else because they don't see it the way I see it? No, because th that is not what God wants for us. We, we see that God wants us to be unified because the Bible says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for the brethren, for the people of God to dwell together in unity. Not uniformity, but together in unity because it is there where God sends his blessing. That we would be able to say, you know what, I'm, I may not look at it the way you look at it. I may not see it the way you see it. But at the end of the day, you are my brother and you are my sister. And we are joined together for the cause. It is there where God sends his blessing. So this ex expert in the law tested him with this question. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? They had 400 commandments. Which is the greatest in the law. And Jesus replied this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your heart. When they asked him, which one is the greatest? He says, I, I can't just give you one. I have to give you two. And they are inseparable. They were used to hearing, love the Lord your God. But there was nothing going on in their hearts. It was simply knowledge to them, but there was no real life change going on on the inside. But here Jesus says something that, that completely changes their perspective. He says that, that you become so in love with him that in turn, as a result of that, you become like him. That you begin to become like Jesus. And then he says, and with all your soul, with all your mind, that we would be transformed by this love. And then he, Jesus says this, this is the first and this is the greatest commandment. And then he says, and the second is this. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on to tell the story of the Good Samaritan because they asked him the question. They said, well, who is my neighbor? Because what this religious person was trying to figure out is, who do I have to love? Can you identify who my neighbor is? We're called to love everybody. We're called to love people. Not just a select group, but that we love everyone. When we look at the Greek, and, and we, we understand that the New Testament, the original manuscript is in Greek. And, and this is important, and I'll tell you why, because the Greek language has four times the words that the English language has, the same as, the, the, the same as with the Old Testament the, that was written in the, in the Hebrew. The, there's so many more words. When, when you look, for example, at the word praise, we just understand that you see in the book of Psalms, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, but there's literally seven different ways for you to praise the Lord. One means to bow and one means to jump up and down like a wild man. It, it just, you have to go to the original context. So if we don't go back to the original language, we can easily miss something. So what does this mean for us today? When I look at the word love, there's four different meanings in the Greek language. The first is storge, which is a natural affection. It's the love that you have for, for those in your family. It's the love that you have for your children. It's the love for, that you have for your brother and sister. Then there's 
the phileo, which is friendship. It's where, where Philadelphia, the city, is derived from that we know as the city of brotherly love. It's how you feel about your favorite college team that's just up north, right this way. It's the way you feel about your favorite NFL team, you know, the one that's not playing in the Super Bowl. I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking to myself, it hurts. That's phileo. Then you have what's eros, which many describe as a physical attraction. It's a physical attraction. Many refer to it as the love of the body. So what your body enjoys. It's like when you love chocolate. Did I mention the fast is over? But then... So you have storge, you have phileo, you have eros, and then you have the word agape. You have the word agape. It's the fourth kind of love that only God uses. That God uses this word, and, and a lot of people in our world don't use this word. They don't live by this one. Agape. But God demonstrated this type of love. Towards us. Because agape is unconditional love. To know that he unconditionally loves you blows my mind. He unconditionally loves you. Does he know what you did last night? Yeah, he still loves you. Does he know your resume? Yes, he still loves you. Does he know your bad habits? Yes, he still loves you. Do you know, does he know the addiction that you can't seem to kick? Yes, he still loves you. Romans 5.8 tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't with a condition. It wasn't, he wasn't up there saying, if you make up your mind, I'll die for you. No, he died for us while we were still sinners. While we were still spitting, while we were still mocking, still doing our own thing, the nails still pierced his skin. While they hung him high, and while they stretched him wide, and while people were laughing at him and ridiculing him, he still died on that cross. Lost in our own trespasses and lost in our own bad habits and on our own wrongs. It didn't stop him. While they were hating on him, the nails were driven in and he said, yeah, I love them that much. I, I still love you. It didn't stop him. It didn't stop him. And here you have Jesus, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. The one that is, the one that was, the one that is to come. Here you have Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead, and yet he stays on the cross. He could have easily gotten himself down. It wasn't the nails that kept him there. It was his love for you. It was his love for you. He could have easily gotten down, but he said, I love them unconditionally. It's an agape love. It's an agape love. An intentional and unconditional expression. To do something 
caring or helpful, regardless of the cost or consequence to oneself. It's an agape love. It's, it's a love that you get up in the middle of the night when your child threw up. And you're cleaning it up and you're holding him or her, trying to hold your own down. It's an agape love. It's an unconditional love. It's a, it's a love that's not easily seen in the world that we live in. Love is giving, this type of love is giving a person what they need, not what they deserve. And that's what God calls us to in Pact City. Jesus comes along and he says, it's a new command. Agape. He uses the word that no one knew or understood and that had not been used till that time. John 13, 34 and 35 says, a new command I give you. He says that you would love, that you would agape one another. As I have loved you, as I have agaped you, so you must love one another. And then he said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you agape, unconditionally love one another. And I know that for some of us, the aim is right here and some of us feel right here. And there's just a lot of road to cover before we get there. And the question that comes up is, how do I get this type of love in my heart? How do I get this type of agape in my heart? Because you immediately go to thinking, maybe I can do it. But then when you think of that one particular person, you say, I don't know if I can. I can love 90 9% of the people in my, love, in my life, agape, but there's that 1%. You think of that one person, and I want to challenge you for just the next little while, as I draw to a close, that we would divert our mind from that one person that has wronged you, that one person that, can't, that you can't stand, that, that braggadocious coworker, always seems to be getting on your nerve, that you would just divert your mind from that person for just the next little while because I really want this to happen for us today. That we, that we could see everything that God has for us. That we would live a life that God has called us and has designed for us to live. A life where we don't stumble. Because I want to tell you, if you divert your attention from that person because it's not really about that person. It's not really about them. If I'm having trouble with people in my life, it might, it might not be a people issue. It might be a God issue. Well, what do you mean? I'll tell you. Because of this verse, 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says this, Dear friends, let us love or let us agape one another. For love comes from God. It doesn't come from myself because that's the problem. Many of us are trying to do it on our own. It doesn't come from me. It comes from God. It comes from God. It doesn't come from how you feel about the person. 
It doesn't come from what you think about the person. You can't do it because you think of them. You can't love unconditionally because you think of the person. Agape doesn't come from them. Agape comes from God. It comes from a God who allows you to express it to them. That I'm able to do it because of Him. You won't be able to do it on your own. There's no human on this earth that could possibly accomplish this because it doesn't come from the inside. It comes from God. Because this is what it says. Everyone who loves has been born of God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. This is what happens when the old person dies and, and we go through a transformation, what the Bible calls sanctification. That, that I'm not what I, I need to be, but I'm not what I used to be. And I'm grateful for the journey. I have been born of God. And, and that's where it starts. I've been born again. And because I've been born again, it continues. And it says, and I know him. And I know him. It's not talking about knowing him in your mind. It's talking about knowing him in your heart. And then it says this, whoever does not love does not know God. I'm only able to love because of him. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. And that's why the Apostle Paul prayed this in Ephesians 3, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted, that you would come to church often, that you would come to church uh, frequently, that you would be rooted in a small group, that you would be rooted, that you would have a, a group uh, around you, that you would get involved in the dream team, that you would be rooted. And that then, then he goes on and says, and established in love that you may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surrounds surpasses knowledge, that, that surpasses my understanding, that, that you're able to get to a point. I don't know how I can love them after what they've put me through, and I don't know how I can love them after what they've done to me. I can love them because I've been born of God, and I have received His love, and it's because of Him, only because of Him, that it would surpass knowledge that that it would surpass what your brain can do in loving people. That you would, I don't know how I'm able to do it, but it's God in you. That it's God in you. And then it says this, that you may be filled to the measure. That you would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Of all the fullness of God. I tell each of you this morning, that's what I want for each of you. That deep down on the inside, I truly want what's best for you. And I'm telling you this truth today. That we would be able to embrace all that God has for us. I tell you today, because if we embrace this truth of God's word, that it will revolutionize our lives. That we would be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That there would be nothing in your life and in my life that would cause us to stumble because I can love because he loves me.
that I can love because I have been born of him. That I don't do it out of my own strength and out of my own power, but I do it because of the love I've received from him. Father, we thank you today. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your unconditional love for me, for us. I thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. You know the beginning to the end. And you stayed there to show your love. God, that we would be able to be born. That we would be able to live out the scripture to be born of God and to know God. And that we would be able to love unconditionally as you have loved us. You are love because you live within us. We're able to love. And I thank you for barriers that are coming down today. Thank you for walls that are coming down today. I thank you for obstacles that have been in the way that are being removed right now by your power, by your strength. God, I thank you that you have called us to love, that we can love because of you. Everyone, everybody, that we can love because of you. We just thank you today for your word that never returns void. But it always accomplishes what it sets out to do. I thank you for your great love. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe today is the first day that you walk into church. Maybe today is the first day that you hear of, of a God who loves you unconditionally. Maybe you've heard of him but just truly have never given your life to him. I want to give you that opportunity before we close today. Your heart is heavy. You're carrying your shame. You're carrying your guilt. You feel this heaviness on you, this burden, and you're trying to do it on your own, and you can't. You'll never be able to. But with God, all things are possible. And he stands at the door, and he knocks, and he says that if anyone would hear my voice and would open the door, that he would come in. But you have to open the door. And if that's you today, I, this can be the first day of the rest of your life. It could be the best day you have ever lived because you accept his free gift. His free gift of salvation. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And if that's you today with every Eye closed, every head bowed. I'm going to invite you just right there. You don't have to come to the front. You don't have to stand. If you would just raise your hand, we want to pray together with you. If that is you, I see you. I see you. That we would just come together and just believe God's very best for you. So I want to invite everyone right now at the sound of my voice to pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me for taking my place. 
I give you my shame. I give you my guilt. I give you my burden. God, let me live the life you died to give me. I receive you in my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Could we welcome everyone that has been joined to the body this morning?